Welcome to the Runway VC Podcast, a podcast where we talk with experts and disruptors about how they're influencing the future of aviation and travel. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is your captain speaking. We are currently at a of the Runway VC podcast. This is actually going to be a little bit of a different episode. Rather than the typical interviews we've done in the past with industry leaders and innovators, um, I invited two gentlemen, Peter Slayton and Scott Gorson, to come on and talk about actually one specific topic. And the topic we talk about is airport design specifically related to passengers with physical disabilities. There's no question that this is a topic that's directly related to a lot of airports, especially the ones that are getting new terminals over the next couple years. But I wanted to figure out if airports were doing enough now, and if they're not, how are they falling short, and what can be done about it? This is a little bit of an experiment episode, so kind of think of this as an audio version of a blog post or an an article that you'd read in a newsletter, and of course, please let me know what you think. A little warning, this is a bit longer episode, but I promise it'll be worth it. We go further than just talking about making sure people who may be blind or deaf can navigate an airport, but also include and really have a good conversation about what it means for the aging population and how to design airports for people that may not need assistance today getting around, but will need help getting those steps that are required to get around large and and medium hub airports. So without further ado, here's our conversation. Peter and Scott, how are y'all? I'm good. doing great. How are you? <laughs> good, good. Uh, so so we can kind of distinguish your voices for our listeners a little bit. Um, Peter, why don't you introduce yourself first and tell us a little bit about what you do? Okay. Thanks, uh, Chris. I'm Peter Slayton. I am the uh, co-founder of uh, the Slayton Media Group and the founder of the Slayton Group. And we provide the training and education for customer service workers mostly in the hospitality industry, but really across any industry where the people are customer-facing uh, in serving people with disabilities. So it's service to people who are deaf or hard of hearing, have uh, are visually impaired or blind, or mobility impaired in some way. And uh, the service we provide is aimed at uh, bridging the gap that exists in the social realm as opposed to the gap in the physical realm that the Americans with Disabilities Act addresses or attempts to address. And so how did you kind of get into this type of uh, consulting? Sure. Well, I'm blind, and uh, after years of traveling uh, the country, the world, and here in New York City and having lots of uh, unfortunate interactions with service providers, I decided uh, that I would tackle it and, and see if I could create a program that would just make it easier for those people who feel so uncomfortable and uh, and just uh, not insecure may be the wrong word, but just they're just uncomfortable, uh, not confident, um, concerned about what is the right thing to do when you're faced with helping someone who's blind or uh, or deaf or otherwise has a, an, apparent, an impairment. Uh, and when is it appropriate to help and when is it appropriate not to help and what what's the right thing to do? So I created a program to respond to that 
need and um, as it, seeing as uh, there are just a lot more people with disabilities out there in the active world than there ever have been. Uh, I like to say this is the first uh, generation in history, if you're talking about millennials, that didn't get the memo that says, if you have a disability, stay home, stay out of the way. They're, they're out there. And then, of course, there's the aging population, so the demographics are there. Um, so that's it. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's uh, very cool that you kind of just decided to solve your own problem and then help others at the same time. Uh, what kind of the what are some of the clients that you work with? Is it when you say hospitality uh, that kind of incorporates encompasses a lot of different things? Right. Um, I've been mostly hotels. The largest hotel I've worked at is the Sheraton Hotel and Towers in Chicago. I've also also uh, worked with the uh, Weston Hotel. Uh, Times Square here in New York and the Intercontinental Times Square. Uh, and I work with uh, Virgin Hotels on all its properties as it's uh, building out that uh, new brand. Uh, and then I've also worked in Alaska with uh, a whole range of civic organizations and nonprofits and, um, and for-profit entities in the city of Juneau, which uh, has during, during cruise season has, uh, uh, 10,000 people a day arriving in a city of 30 to 35,000 residents. So uh, my objective there was to help them become a more accessible destination um, by making sure that all the pieces of the puzzle from uh, the uh, cruise ship managers and the passenger passenger managers on board and the excursion operators uh, that are on shore that take people to whaling, uh, whale watching or to um, glacier hiking or uh, just shopping or what have you uh, have the same, have this expertise and know what to do with those, uh, those passengers who need some assistance. Uh, and, yeah. you know, there are a lot of them. There's many people in wheelchairs, uh, wheelchair users. There are, of course, people who are blind, who, you know, and, and um, the cruise ships have, had an eye on this demographic, particularly the elderly, um, sure. the seniors who, who are travelers. So, and that's that was a, a successful program, and uh, looking to bring that to other cities as well. Nice, nice. Now, do any of these, uh, any of your clients, when you're working with, it sounds like the personal touch, you know, the the, the human interaction uh, behind it. But are they also right. getting your input at all in uh, design or any any kind of um, physical things that they could be doing? Not directly, but I have started to work with architecture and design firms, providing them with a workshop that I call Designing Past the ADA, ADA Designing Past the Americans with Disabilities Act, uh, to talk about uh, how they can begin to look at the the ADA as not just an obstacle, something they have to comply with, oh gosh, gee whiz, what a pain in the butt, to something that's actually, it's here, it's it's going to stick around, it's going to get more uh, important in your design. So how can you look at it as a design opportunity? How can you address uh, design concerns, not just for people with disabilities, but that, that reach to everyone, uh, and yet address those concerns. Uh, and I don't call it universal design because I think that tends to, some people tend to tune that out and um, think of that as a do-gooder or universal 
thing. And I, I just, so I say designing past the ADA. I say compliance is the floor, not the ceiling of what you want to do, whether you're in operations or design. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that uh, is the perfect transition <laughs> to the second yeah. voice everyone heard uh, in the beginning. Uh, so, Scott, why don't you introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about what you do? Sure. Uh, my name is Scott Gorms. I'm an architect with the design firm Corgan based out of Dallas, Texas. Uh, we are a large architecture firm that specializes in many market sectors. But, uh, the one that I work with is the aviation group. Uh, and we do work all over the globe, uh, uh, whether it be the master planning of terminals, the, the, the design of terminals, all the way through to construction uh, and actually getting them built. So um, personally, I work more on the terminal planning and uh, schematic design of, of airport terminals. Uh, and uh, uh, most recently, I've been working on projects, uh, including the, the Shanghai South Satellite Concourse that's under construction now, uh, as well as work at DFW. Uh, LAX uh, and uh, other airports across the country. So, as a as a designer for airports, someone that I would imagine is very familiar with ADA standards uh, mm-hmm. and and all that and all the design uh, that has to go in to meet that. Um, are you seeing, like Peter was mentioning, designing past the ADA? Uh, and this is kind of the topic of our conversation. Are you seeing airports um, trying to get move past that as, and using it, as, as Peter says, as the floor and not the ceiling? Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think all, all of our clients actually uh, are much more interested in improving, in improving the passenger experience. Uh, and that basically means that you need to look at the ADA not as uh, – as the guideline, but but as the prerequisite minimum of what you need to do. And in fact, if you want the passenger satisfaction ratings uh, that most airports and airlines want to achieve, you need to go much more above and beyond that uh, and, and think about that passenger experience as they use their facilities. So what are some of the current ADA standards? Um, is it for every set of stairs you have to have an elevator or – um, when it comes to incline, they have to be at a certain degree. What what are some of the standards that have to be met? Certainly, yeah. W- one of the most uh, uh, interesting ones as it relates to passenger experience is is the degree of slope that you can attain uh, when you ramp. Yeah. One of the one of the key one of the key metrics for uh, aviation passenger satisfaction is is level changes, mm-hmm. and so a lot of uh, airport terminals will like to use instead of instead of escalators and elevators. Uh, which you know, escalators can be really intimidating for, for passengers who, uh, who who have trouble walking uh, and have trouble seeing. Uh, you know, the, uh, the getting on and off an escalator in an airport environment can be quite intimidating. So, uh, a lot of airports try and use sloped walkways, which means a ramp greater than one to twenty, to uh, to try and do a level change. Uh, so that's just one design tactic that we use that's above and beyond the ADA uh, to try and uh, uh, make a passenger experience more. Uh, amenable to all passengers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what are? I, I'm curious. Of, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, Chris. go ahead, Peter. Well, I'm curious about. Um, there are two areas of, of airport experience that that can be daunting for a visually impaired person, and uh, I promise they're not coming to get me. Um, by the way, <laughs> uh, that's uh, um, the the first is of course is really the entry. You know, when you enter. A terminal building, and uh, it's really impossible to know 
you know, and designs have changed so much because of kiosks instead of everyone just goes and queues up for uh, the the uh, the counter clerks. Now there are kiosks, and uh, some uh, companies, some airlines use special bag drop-offs before you go get mm-hmm. your ticket or after you get your ticket. So the whole uh, wayfinding thing has changed, and, and airports have never had much uh, wayfinding anyway in in those large open. Uh, well, entrance, even if entrances. they do have wayfinding, right. sometimes more wayfinding is is worse than 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 no wayfinding. That's that's true. And then you can design. Then uh, on the other end of the experience, the the boarding experience, um, or really the uh, the gate experience. You know, no matter how well you might design the gate, uh, somebody is spreading chairs everywhere, and uh, people are putting their bags everywhere, and uh, and, and that's just a free for all. And there's, you know, this is a case where you there's not much you can do to control people and what they'll do with chairs. Of course, you have the chairs that are linked, so you can't really move a single chair. But people put their bags everywhere and stand anywhere they like, and that's when uh, the human intervention becomes really important. And working with uh, someone who can assist you, if they and they need to be trained, but um, that's always a challenge uh, too. But so, so how do you address that? What's what's at what point do you begin to address that? And all these things during the design process, right? And and I think it has to start at the beginning. Uh, you have to be thinking about uh, ways that you can construct your building so that uh, so that it, it informs and improves the passenger experience. An example of this. Uh, would be something that we, that we term here, Corgan, uh, intuitive wayfinding. Uh, for example, when you enter a, a large uh, uh, ticketing hall, you know, is there ways that you can, with the architecture, intuitively tell a person where they need to go? Uh, you know, so don't solely rely on signage and don't solely rely on on on, uh, on gate agents to give the direction. So an example of, of this could be that if you had a, a high roof that had a clear story. You know that that clear story would would be wrapping in the direction that you need to go to. So if the, if the right. security checkpoint is around the corner, you see that clear story turn the corner and it intuitively tell you where to go. Uh, another example uh, is floor patterning. You know. Uh, yes. You know. Very so, important. Yeah, uh, and uh, there's a uh, there's a there's, there's we do some evidence based design at Corgan, uh, one of which uh, is these wayfinding glasses or eye tracking glasses rather. And what they do is they record what you look at and they also have sensors that look back at your eyes that on the recording pinpoint exactly what you're looking at. So you can take this data back uh, and actually physically have someone walk through a terminal and see specifically what they're looking at as they walk through a terminal. And we did this, uh, uh, this experiment uh, with a variety of uh, passengers to include the aging population. And the fascinating thing that came out of it for me was that uh, the visual range of the of the aging population is really from the eye level down. You know, most of the time they're looking at the ground as they walk, uh, and they're certainly not looking up in the air uh, uh, at the signs. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we had one pastor that, that basically, you know, fixated on the floor patterning as, as she walked through the terminal, mm. uh, you know, and, uh, you know, if that patterning reinforced the directionality of where to go, uh, you know, yeah, that, she would, that meant that that's what that's what she relies on to 
provide her her directionality, her wayfinding, and right. uh, or else it couldn't just mean that it's painful for her to lift her head. Uh, too, <laughs> you never know. I'm curious, yeah. how many people would you would you do this with? What's the what's the sample size? Well, you know, we we uh, the last time we did it, we had roughly around 50 passengers go through one of the terminals here in Dallas. Uh, That's you know, great. And ag- That's great. we aggregated the data to create heat maps and all sorts of interesting things that we could pull from for future design uh, uh, choices. So uh, uh-huh. it, it was a great, and, uh, I guess, bank of research for us to pull from, not only to improve the design that we're putting forth today, but also tomorrow. And what about um, auditory challenges? You know, airports are, they're busy and crowded and loud and there are announcements coming everywhere um and really, uh, so how do how do you handle that yeah it really is a challenge uh you know there's there's obviously number one just the noise of the of the terminal itself you know and then of course you couple on top of that you know the 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 pa announcements that need to go every 15 minutes you know about suspicious baggage and you know gate changes <laughs> and you know uh you know so there's and, and you know, I, I guess a question that to, to to kind of ask the question back is, you know, how do you design for you know a passenger who has hearing issues and can't hear, you know, without it being at a certain decibel, uh, and then the certain passengers that are really sensitive to loud noises, uh, you know, uh, uh, you, there's a there's a counterbalance that you have to make. Uh, that's right. Uh, so well, it, that's, that's a challenge. Um, you know, that's again. You know, for travelers with disabilities, um, you know, there's always you're we're always evaluating the point at which we require assistance against the point at which we don't. Um, and for someone who is hard of hearing uh, and may pick up some some verbiage, some announcements, but may not pick up all, may not know there's a gate change, for example, or a delay, um, or that boarding has been called, they may have learned to observe, to watch what passengers do. They may have learned to go up to the gate and ask the gate agent, um, or they may have learned to travel with someone. Um, so, But this also brings up um, technology apps, you know, that Yep. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, can they turn to an app and that will show them in in real time uh, when such announcements have have taken place? So, uh, right. And, and are I, you incorporating? Go ahead, Chris. Oh, I was just going to say before we get too far, I kind of want to give our listeners a little bit of perspective <laughs> uh, on. Uh, this is a, a really great conversation, but I want to give them a little bit of perspective uh, for you, Peter, on what your experience is walking through an airport, being that you're blind. Uh, and especially since, you know, you talk about airport noise, uh, I would imagine that you use a lot of uh, sound to help navigate where you're going through an airport. Um, but also, and, and I kind of jotted a note down uh, when you talked about floor patterns and, and whatnot and, and playing into the design aspect of it, um, floor or design goes a lot further than just what things look like. Um, you know, there are Absolutely. the way that things the way that things feel and the way that things, um, you know, make noise when they do, you know, when you open a car door or whatever, all that stuff is designed right. uh, and, and accounted for. Um, so 
when when going through a um, an airport not being able to see, I would also imagine, in addition to the noise and the audio cues that you're you're hearing, um, also being able to feel what type of floor you're walking on probably also is a good indicator of of a wayfinding tool for you. Is that correct? Sure. I mean, if I'm walking down a concourse toward my gate and my feet suddenly start to touch carpet. Then I say, "Oh, I've gone over too far. I'm, I'm at the gate. Uh, mm-hmm. If I'm, uh, you know, but I, noise changes. Uh, noise and smells change when you're walking through a food court or uh, past a bar or whatever. Um, and you look for that. That's helpful. Uh, yeah. You know, I often rely on a on a service, a customer service, a guide. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I'm not using one, then I'm just being very cautious. I try and walk slowly because there are people just running everywhere and uh, children uh, running running free. And, um, you know, for me, the biggest challenge can entering the airport and um, figuring out what to do from there. How do I, you know, I, I will stand and wait for someone from the airline to find me if uh you know and then make sure i get my ticket or i will keep walking if that doesn't happen i'll start working until the does find me if that includes bumping into someone and then it does you know but sure to do what i can do but but i'm taking this back to um you know what's controllable one time i was using a, a guide i was waiting for a plane and uh uh there was a gate change announcement and someone from the airline came over to guide me over to the new gate, which was cool. But what was cool was then he just was walking quickly and slammed my head into the frame of some poster oh. that was <laughs> sticking out. And, you know, that's not something that uh, that Scott can solve. That's not his sure. challenge. That's the challenge of of the personnel. operators of the terminal. Sure. Yeah, personnel. So where so, they put stuff and then the guide himself. So. so take us through, you, you, you are, you know, you're in New York. Um, so I'm assuming there's a lot of, uh, cars. I don't, I can't imagine, uh, <laughs> having someone, uh, personnel or, or family member or whatever, driving you to the airport, parking a car and, and walking you through. So I imagine that you're calling cars, uh, to get to the airport. Car service. Um, now that I, yeah, I mean, when I was younger, it was the bus, you know, all those bus sure. services, you Short of the bus service, lug your bag around, get on the bus, and the bus will take you around. Um, and that's still an option. There's the train to the plane. But basically, a, a car will deposit me, and I'll try and get the – and this is something I, I would love to address to Scott. Um, the challenge is even finding the entrance to the terminal. Um, I'll ask someone to point it out to me, but – Often the drop-off for passengers is uh, on the far side of a median, and then you have to cross an access road, right? Uh huh. Mm-hmm. To get to get to the entrance, um, and that access road, the crosswalk, may not lead you directly into the terminal. Um, and there's often there's never any you know sidewalk. Um, texture change that would say, here's the entrance. Uh, you have to listen for sliding doors or revolving doors. And big revolving doors can be very, are very intimidating. 
mm-hmm. for blind people. Um, I, I can speak for myself, but I, I know they are. And yeah. uh, sliding doors are far preferable. Um, uh, and they're also pre- uh, very intimidating for service dogs. Sure, uh, sure. Now, Scott, is that <laughs> – like, well, Go ahead. No, that's it. That's it. Uh, I was going to say, now, Scott, is that a um, – a, a, an existing infrastructure problem. I mean, Peter, you're flying out of New York, so ne- none of those airports are new. But I fly, uh, out of, I fly out of lots of places because when I fly someplace, I have to fly back. So. Sure, sure, sure. Right. Uh, but right. you're looking right. at a lot of the airports in the country that, you know, very few of them are new, although we're, I think we're getting into a, uh, a kind of a renaissance, if you will, of new terminals being built across the country. Um, so is that a, an, a just an, an existing infrastructure to a time where accessibility wasn't important? Well, it is certainly a unique uh, uh, problem to domestic airports in that you know we built all our airports in the in the fifties, sixties, and seventies, and you know and over time we've just retrofitted them as best we could. Uh, you know, and like you said, we're at the point now where we're starting to see big new terminal projects come up. Uh, because of the infrastructure being uh, out of date in, uh, at many airports, uh, you know, uh, and then there's there's I think that an evolution that has occurred uh, with a lot of these uh, terminals over time because of of how we now approach them. You know, obviously uh, the best example of that is the integration of security checkpoints. You know, and mm. you know the time previous to when those were, and you know, then obviously having to come back in basically overnight and try and 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 you know, fit a square peg in a round hole has caused a lot of, you know, what was a, you know, a clear system to begin with, where, you, you know, I think one, the better, a better, the best, a good example of this is a DFW where, you know, it was designed so that you could drive your car right up to it, to the entrance to where your gate was, get out and walk, you know, 50 feet and be at your gate. Uh, That's you know, a big no-no now. now. Yeah. yeah, whereas now you have three checkpoints across the entire airport that everyone has to funnel to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the challenge that you have then, of course, is that on the curbside, you know, you're trying to cram your personal vehicles, your commercial vehicles, both departing and arriving, you know, coming out of coming in and out of one singular point and trying to stretch that across. And you run into the situation that Peter was describing where you have double stack curves and all of a sudden yep. your taxis are dropping off on the farthest uh, lane, you know, from the door and you have to find your way in and it's a maze. Uh, sure. Yeah. How does this translate internationally? I'm sorry. You want to? No, no. No, go ahead. That's exactly what I was going to ask. Yeah. (laughs) There you go. The the uh, the international market is actually, uh, uh, in in my opinion, going to be in a much more challenging situation uh, in the next couple of uh, decades. Uh, You know, there are our aging passenger population is growing. uh, at, at quite a, at quite an amazing rate over the next you know 20 to 30 years, and I think that this is particularly going to be a large growth in in Asian countries and, and Middle Eastern countries, where you're seeing that population grow, and then of course that that segment of the traveling population uh, uh, traveling. So you know the challenge is is that here in America we've 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 instituted a lot of uh, uh, retrofits through the ADA to try and accommodate this, and some of those are not. Uh, are not in international airports, uh, and so you know it's going to be a challenge for those airports to uh, to accommodate that that new demographic. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, if I land in if I land in say Warsaw or um, 
Azerbaijan or uh, even Paris, uh, will I find the same quality of uh, wheelchair service or will it be much more daunting? And not that I'm saying wheelchair service is wonderful here, but in comparison, how is it? And, uh, and are they, and in terms of the physical aspects of, of design, if you're trying to build in ADA approaches, uh, from the start here in the U.S., do you find resistance to doing that overseas from, from various, uh, transit authorities, transportation authorities, um, you know, uh, typically not. I think uh, you know uh, the the airport authorities are, are are typically well aware of of what they need to do. Uh, we were working with a, a a Middle Eastern client, and you know they have a significant aging traveling population uh, for for uh, for religious reasons. You know, coming and going uh, at, at peak seasons, yes. and and you'll find that, uh, for example, if you fly Emirates. That you know you've got your your PRM wheelchairs that are going all the way up the fixed link, all the way out to the to the hold room because there's so many sure. aging passengers on the on the plane. So they know that the, the demand is there, and uh, you know I know that that they're keeping that in mind as they plan their new facilities. Now, one question I had in terms of of uh, the entrance, and and this kind of goes I guess throughout the entire airport uh, with the, the aging domestic. Uh, airports, um, while it's it's fine to sit there and say, well, it's difficult now to account or to accommodate some uh, accessibility uh, design because this is the the airports were never designed that way. Um, that that seems while it it seems on the surface uh, kind of a, a a reason for it. I don't know about a good reason. Um, that doesn't help Peter get through <laughs> an airport. No, uh, but, uh, but, so, but that is, that's not even a, they can't, an airport, unlike some, I'll, I'll just take New York, for example, you know, if, if I own a historic building and sure. to renovate it to be accessible would create an economic hardship, and I can argue that I can get the building grandfathered in. But sure. you can't do that in an airport. You know, sure. no matter how historic it is. Right, right. So I was just, my question was going to be in regards to we'll use the example of, of finding an entrance to an airport. Um, to Scott, what are some of the things that airports could do now uh, to make that that experience you know a lot easier? So I think you know the key is is is, is demarking. Uh, those locations with a significant architectural gesture, whether it be a vestibule yeah. that protrudes off the building face, uh, whether it be a canopy that reaches out from the entrance over the roadway, uh, it, you know, uh, there needs to be some architectural gesture that says, okay, this is where the entrance to the facility is. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, it's a, it is a challenge, particularly in today's day where you've got a terminal facade and then roughly, you know, 60 feet over is the garage facade. Mm-hmm. And so as you drive mm-hmm. through the land side, it's essentially, a, you know, an urban canyon. Uh, and in, yeah. in most cases, you don't have that view down. It's curving. And so uh, you need to be able mm-hmm. to call it out, uh, uh, not with more than just a sign. Yeah. It has to be something. Now, what happens, you know, here's, here's something I'm, I'm very curious about. Once you're, it would extend into the, the ticketing area, and the security area, but it's also in the concourse. How 
how much do you interact with a specific airline? Um, I mean, if you're designing the JetBlue terminal, you're designing for JetBlue. But if you're designing a larger concourse that will accommodate multiple airlines, how at what point do the airlines get involved and, and how is that interaction in design? Or do yeah, you just so, present, you know, a, no, a, a turnkey thing? And, right. So there'll be stakeholder meetings through, throughout the entire, entire process uh, where airline representatives are there. Uh, and like you mentioned, it's, it, it, it really depends a lot on, on who is the significant stakeholder. Uh, you know, you've got an airport like Dallas, Fulfield, where it's primarily Southwest, you know, they're, they're going to be the ones yeah. that are obviously the most important. Uh, right. You know, the, the challenge, like you mentioned, is where, where you've got multiple airports, uh, and you may even uh, see something like common use ticket counters go in, uh, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. where, uh, you know, they're, they're, where everyone has to kind of play along and, you know, uh, you know, do what's best for the, for the airport. Uh, you know, uh, so that's where the, the challenge comes in. Uh, and, uh, you know, the key is just to try and make a nice, uh, cohesive design that can be in- integrated into each airline's uh, uh, processes. Yeah, and that, that's what I, I can imagine. And um, while I would love to get into uh, just TSA and, and designing for, for mm. those types of checkpoints, I think uh, I do want to touch on it briefly and, and after this question, but uh, I, sh- I think we could get into an entire other new another episode <laughs> just talking about yeah. uh, TSA. So that may be one that I invite you all back in the future just to talk about. But um, Peter, when it comes to airport design, uh, there is only so much uh, architects can do when it comes to that kind of stuff. You mentioned that. Um, how much of it, after the fact, is on the airlines um, to 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 re- not only just recognize that this is an issue, but then also to say we're going to invest to solve it? I think a lot because you know they. They can't just have a gate and say, everyone come here and that's it. Um, it is about, I, I don't think there's much, uh, the gates are kind of, they're hold, holding cages, holding tanks for right. for people. I mean, they're holding areas, to be fair. They're holding areas, but as I said, they're not, um, you, know, you can't police them, but you can you can definitely ask people to, to be more careful with their bags and and their uh, materials that they spread out and occupy a whole bunch of things, and you can try and create a little more uh, order without being overbearing. Um, just be a, a little more aware. So, but then there's there's also just how do you design them? Is it just a row of chairs? Is that what you're going to do? Rows of chairs. What else can you do um, to to change that? And how well can you? array your your ticket takers your your gate agents um to handle the challenges that they have you know mm-hmm. uh, yes they're all about it's all about efficiency and too much i mean efficiency is is extremely important but if it's when it comes to the expense of uh at the expense of, of passenger safety and to some degree comfort then um then you're asking for trouble yeah Scott, were were you to say something? Yeah, I I I think that you know the 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 idea that uh, the hold room is a holding area, you know, I think that that idea is is, is evolving as well. 
I've, I, we've noticed a trend in airport design where there's, there's personalization and customization of your passenger experience. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's the type of thing where nowadays, you know, people are, for example, demanding, uh, you know, that you have outlets at your seat so that you can sit there and, and, yep. and charge your device while you're doing, while you're, while you're waiting, you know, and so you're starting to see things like tech bars come into play uh, and, you know, the family play area is coming in. And so, you know, what was once mm-hmm. just here's a whole room, here's some beam seating, have a seat, we'll call you when we're ready, is all of a sudden becoming a part of the passenger experience that certain airlines are selling. Right. Uh, you know, and so. I, I was in uh, one, in, in one uh, airport um, where there was actually, at some point there was a, a piano being played and just, you know, kind of soothing music in, in a fairly large you know, multi-gate uh, semi-hub, you know, yeah, and uh, and it was actually pleasant. It wasn't intrusive, and it wasn't too loud, which it could easily have been. Um, mm-hmm. But it might have been for some hard of hearing passengers. But uh, but that was quite a change. You you know, some gentle piano music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now um, it sounds like Peter, the two issues that we've talked about that you've you've brought up is is getting into the airport, um, the entrance to the terminal, and then being at the gate with the chairs and the bags uh, and kind of the overall yeah. clutter that kind of happens as people uh, right. try to bring everything in their in their living room on airplanes now since since airlines right. decide to increase the baggage fees. Um, Scott, is there what are some of the things that airlines, I would imagine, like you mentioned in, in Love Field, Southwest being the major stakeholder, and, and more and more airlines trying to, uh, especially in the medium to large hub airports, trying to brand concourses as their own and, and do a lot of their operations out of a single concourse. Um, what are some of the things that airlines could ask airport designers to put into those terminals to incentivize people, even unconsciously incentivize people to put their stuff out of the way or, or make, or, you know, make the aisles a little bit clearer? Well, that's a good question. Uh, And it it goes back again, I think, to that trend of personalization and customization. Uh, People want to be in control of their airport experience. And so whether that be, you know, a, a, a large amenity area where they've got a variety of things to do, you know, uh, you, 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 you will find that, you know, the tech savvy folk want to go out and play around with new devices or, or play with interactive art displays, uh, you know, and mm-hmm. then, you know, it's, it's, it's again about catering to the entire demographic where, you know, if an aging passenger uh, has gate anxiety and they immediately want to go to their gate, you know, it's about providing those nice views so that they can see the gate, they can be comfortable with, with, with where they're at, uh, mm-hmm. And then make the decision either to relax or to go uh, back to the concessions area. Uh, yeah, but it's it's ways of crafting that experience for each person uh, and making sure that 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 an airline's primary passenger demographic is catered to uh, in a concourse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now, um, I guess the one thing that when it comes to design, and and after this, I, I kind of want to touch on technology because Peter, you and I have had conversations, and you yeah. pointed out something that was. Something that I didn't even recognize. Uh, before. Well, it's still it's certainly evolving. It's a, yeah, it's a big, before, it's a big before, area of conversation. But right before we get there, I, I want to address on uh, just the different types 
of accommodations that have to be met. Um, airports have always been the, the one of the biggest things that interests me about airports, especially when it comes to design. And Scott, I know you can relate to this, is that you airports have to be designed to, like you mentioned, accommodate for everyone while at the same time providing an ease of experience and the lowest common denominator. Um, Peter, when you're talking to your clients, how do you address the staff as well as the management on accommodating for all the different types of uh, passengers that are going to come through that do need assistance, whether it's you know blind such as yourself or someone who is deaf or in a wheelchair, um, and then you get into well, the, the way. I was going to say, and then you get into the uh, the 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 passengers that have needs that aren't always visible. Right. Um, well, here's a you know the challenge is that um, kind of as you were just what you said there is both the you want to meet the general needs of everybody, but people with disabilities who are whether they're blind or deaf or intellectually have an intellectually intellectual disability, we all experience our disabilities in a very personal, unique way. Mm-hmm. So um, you, the way you prepare them is by saying, be aware, be observant, know what's happening around you. Don't be um, and train your staff to be aware and observant and, and don't push a cookie cutter approach uh, and do your best to make sure your staff is flexible. So if you have a, you know, a, a people helping other people, if someone doesn't want a wheelchair, don't make your attendant bring their wheelchair with them, uh, or don't have them try and put that person in a wheelchair. Sometimes uh, people insist, oh no, you must ride in the wheelchair. Well, what am I going to do with my guide dog while I'm in the wheelchair? That's right. kind of absurd. So, so being flexible to what everyone needs and what they can do. That's that's really a big part of it. It's being observant and being being allowed to be to use your judgment. Mm-hmm. Um when you when you come into a cookie cutter situation, I mean, look at the extreme example of the United flight and and the sure. doctor, you know. Sure. There's someone didn't use their judgment. They instead hold rank you know, and said, I can do this, so I'm going to do it. And the result was a total disaster. Yeah. Um, and now does some of that, and I, I'm, does some of that uh, fall onto the airline in terms of their initial interaction with a customer? Um, absolutely. Absolutely. It, it's from the, you know, it's the approach from the, from the top. Yeah. That's how it is. And then uh, what, corporate culture is, is specific. It, it changes from organization to organization. I mean, right. you can, but you see the the startups versus the legacy carriers, and how the legacy carriers try to be more like the startups, but then the startups try and be more like the legacy carriers, and you get you know kind of a mishmash. Right, right, right. And what does the um, what does the experience or or look like as someone who needs to let an airline know? You know, hey, I am. I do need this type of help or this type of assistance when I get to this. The, my first airport, my second airport. Uh, you know, if it's right. a layover, even my third airport. Well, um, it just depends on whether the airline 
you know, and this goes back to what I was talking with Scott about, and I think it's a good question for Scott. It's coordination. How does the airport uh, work in coordination with the airline once operations start, and to what extent can designers and architects be involved in that and help to, you know, how do you get back in and, you know, make it possible for that coordination to be as, as smooth as possible possible between the the airport and the airlines and and the multiple stakeholders. Um, I mean do you sometimes go in and retrofit something to because there's something that's keeping that coordination at bay or well I think that it's a it's a matter of, of being in constant evaluation of your facility. You know, and recognizing when there's, you know, not only just the facility, but like you mentioned, the operations of the facility. Uh, and right. the, the overall uh, uh, goal of that is basically just to create empathy for the passenger uh, and so that right. everyone understands what's going on. Uh, you know, uh, one one tool that we have for that uh, that kind of empathy generation at Corgan is uh, we use a, something called an age simulation suit. Uh, and what it is is it's a, it's a, it's a component of parts that a user will wear that 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 mimics the effects of aging. Uh, for example, there's a there's a there's there's a glove that you wear that has an oscillator in it, so it causes hand tremors. Uh, you you put these uh, boots on your feet that 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 cause an unsteady gait and uh, make it hard to walk. Uh, and, you know, mm-hmm. and then we even ha- we even have glasses that you can wear that would mimic different type of eye diseases. Uh, sure. You know, and then you know, and then we've had our designers walk through the spaces that they're designing. Uh, so that they can experience what it's going to be like in 40 years uh, when they walk through it uh, in real time. Uh, but that allows us, obviously, number one, as an empathy tool, just to understand how, how different groups see our spaces and experience the spaces. Uh, you know, and then hopefully uh, the ultimate goal is to find design solutions that help, that help uh, 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 make the spaces better. Uh, but awesome. this, that same that same kind of empathy generation can be done across the board, whether it be airport operators, airline operators. Uh, you know, uh, it's 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 obviously hard to experience a space. Uh, you know, Peter, like you would experience, I can't do that. Uh, right. But if you know, if I can do my best to try and simulate it, then I can I can at least right. try and you know, uh, walk some time in your shoes. Well, and I I think it's I mean empathy tools like that are useful but what's really most useful is being able to spur someone's imagination um mm-hmm. and i in my workshops i don't use such tools because i want people to think their way through it um hard you know to really engage yeah. uh and the the tool is very useful um and and yet you know you getting an airport operator to say that they need to do what the designer is doing, say, oh, we should wear that too, is, you know, that just might not happen. <laughs> no, it, it, it might I, not. I venture and, to know, say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, but it, it is it is one of the methods that's available uh, to help generate yeah. that empathy. But, yeah, you're right. It, it, there's, there's the part where you have to close the loop and bring a solution back to the table uh, exactly, and, and and not just use it as a novelty experience. Right, exactly, exactly. Now, Scott, how much do you all um, borrow, I guess, or uh, look at other industries when designing airports? 
to kind of take some of their ideas over that are being used at, at other industries um, and into airports? You know, it, it's happening more and more. Uh, you know, and, and it's it, you know it's it's the evolution of the terminal, right? Like you know, what was just a a place you know to fly out of is is now becoming you know you know a, a, a mall you know mm-hmm. a you know you know and it is really becoming almost you know kind of that last cultural center that you can experience a, a city before moving on to the next one right uh, and so you know what was once a simple building type is now evolved into something much more uh, and you know uh, there are airports around the real world that do that best you know right and, you know uh, you, you know Chengi is you know in Singapore is uh, one of the I better was just going to ask what 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 is the most um, do do you have airports that you think of as standard bearers? Well, yeah, you know, Changi is, is is at the top of the list of, of you know they're constantly winning uh, service awards, uh, you know, and so you know there's the Skychecks award, you know, that I think they've won now almost like five years in a row. I, I don't know how many times in a year they were, <laughs> they've won. But they do that with not not only you know customer service situations, but you know by also constantly reimagining the offerings that are in their terminal. You know, uh, uh, it's, it's it's you know it requires more than a food court nowadays to make people happy. Yes. You know? yeah. And so is, airport is, what airport is, is, is that again? Singapore. Singapore Changi, yeah, Changi. Uh, uh. Okay. And well, now, what about domestically? So. Domestically, uh, you know, there's 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 lots of great airports, obviously across the country. Uh, you know, uh, you know. Uh, Am I putting? I don't want to put you on the line, yeah. <laughs> but I've heard great. I've, I've, I've never I've never been to Sacramento, but I've heard that they've got a really. It's going. It's, they did a beautiful job in in creating their new airport. Right, and That's you know, so heard. Sacramento. Yeah, so Sacramento Terminal B is a is a Corgan project in collaboration mm-hmm. with Ventris, uh, and you know they they uh, the architecture in there is a fantastic you know, space. Really, uh, yeah. we've got some great project images on our on our website. But uh, you know what they do is they 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 find specific areas uh, to essentially uh, you know uh, engage the passenger or distract the passenger. You know. Uh, hmm. and, what I mean by that is, is that you know, uh, in their bag claim hall, for example, they've got this 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 uh, art installation that's jumping from the rooftop of a of a giant red rabbit diving down to the bag claim hall. You know? <laughs> uh, so as you're waiting for your bag and potentially frustrated that your bag's not there, you know, mm-hmm. you're looking at this right. you know amazing piece of art, uh, uh, <laughs> and you know, basically trying to yeah. find ways that would typically cause passenger stress or anxiety and finding a ways to, uh, uh, like I said, either distract them or in areas where they, they like, for example, in the concourse, finding areas where you can engage them uh, and uh, get them to interact with your space. So to kind of, like I said, move this uh, towards the end of the conversation, um, but I do want to address on technology, and I know, Scott, you all uh, don't when you're designing airports, you know, you, you a lot of the technology that's being used in, in airports today are private, you know, whether it's an airline or TSA or concessionaires or whatever. So I know that 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 always doesn't transcend down to um, design of, of 
the actual airport. But uh, Peter, when you're going through an airport, the trend is to kind of get people out of the way of your passenger experience. At least that's where, you know, higher, you're seeing less and less uh, check-in agents that are being replaced with self-kiosk tags, um, mm-hmm. or self-bag Self-tag bag kiosks, as well as as self-check-in gates, um, and even at TSA, you know, uh, you can most of the time walk through um, and and only have to interact with someone to hand them your ID. Um, So what... I have not seen that yet, and I would delight in that, but... Well, when so when you're going through this as someone that needs that extra that needs that personal experience, um, what kind of challenges does that pose? Uh, those are challenges that are, um, I mean, design can help, but it's really that challenge is is a is often either within the airline itself and in the airline culture or within the um, if there's a service provider uh, that's often a third-party contractor mm-hmm. uh, for helping people with disabilities or just people who need extra help um, to to get through the airport experience and to get to their gate or from their gate. Uh, and, you know, as much as design, um, design can help by help by providing a way for, you know, a lot of area, a lot of airports you'll walk in and someone will, ask you if you need assistance, you just say yes, they'll have you wait in an area until your name is called. And um, that wait can be a little odd, um, and you tend to feel like you're in a little ghetto area. Mm-hmm. Um, sort uh, of a form of segregation to some extent. Yes, yeah. So, um, but I have seen that this is evolving too as some airlines are more sophisticated and trying to make that experience a more um, a more pleasant experience, mm-hmm. uh, and some some are not. But you know, design designers can can suggest that, but they can really only implement. Uh, and they can suggest solutions to that, but they can only do that if if the airline or the airport is interested. But yeah, that, mm-hmm. it's something they're not going to even really be aware of because these aren't. Uh, in most cases, are not separate areas. There's, um, they're they're just they're self-created separate areas. Well, they might block off a group of you know ten seats over over here near the ticket counters or you know by the door or somewhere for wheelchair users and other other people needing assistance can wait. Mm-hmm. So no one said, oh let's let's create a waiting area for or you know a holding area for. For these folks, or um, let's create a more efficient way to move them through. Or, um, let's find a design solution for that. So, yeah, well, that's very interesting. Um, in terms of the the latest buzzwords when it comes to IoT, um, how dependent are you on your personal technology, whether it's your cell phone or or anything else that you have to navigate the wayfinding through? airport terminals are you are you have you been to an airport that's been using that the kind of the bluetooth no i, I have beacons not or anything like no, that I have not um, i have not but i'm curious about it and and um yeah i think that i think that it's 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 only inevitable that something like that will come but you know uh, 
you know, the Pokemon craze goes around sure. and, every, and you see people walking in the middle of, of parks with, with right. staring at their phone, you know, and, uh, you know, there, it will come that, that, that wayfinding will be personalized to the singular person. Then he can pull up his phone and it's going to have an arrow that points him in the direction he needs to go. Uh, and, and I do, so, I do think that, um, sorry, go ahead. No, it's, it's, it's really only a matter of time and the, and then, of course, right. uh, you know, there's, there's going to be lots of ways to capitalize on that, you know, such as when you walk by a Starbucks, you know, uh, you know, a blurb right. is going to come to your phone that says, hey, you go, you don't, you're not boarding for another 45 minutes. You know, your flight's been yeah. delayed. You know, come grab a coffee before you right. get to the whole lounge. Now, is that all? all well, hopefully it's for true. You where, where, what's that? Is that well, all that's audio? a smell cue for me. Yeah. <laughs> Walking by Starbucks. <laughs> but, and, you know, really, um, but... You know, I, I think this is the yes. That would be an audio cue, or it could be. Um, you know, they're working on all different ways. If I'm, you know, wearable technology, my uh, mm-hmm. wrist might vibrate one way for a mm-hmm. store or a bar or whatever, and another way for a gate. Or, um, or if I use a, a, a tactile display, a braille dis- refreshable braille display, it might show me an arrow. Or it gives mm-hmm. me a, a message of some kind, or I can be wearing earbuds, which tend to fall out. Or, you know, <laughs> as I said, it's it's very loud in that airport, so you might not hear the message when it comes through, saying, you know, the gate is ten feet to the left, and right. uh, right. you know, there's an announcement <laughs> to to make sure your 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 pet is you know in its cage. You know, uh, so it, it's Peter, you always have so, an ability to work. You always have an opportunity to work as an automated voice uh, for voice recorder. Yeah, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Thank, you. thank you. I I listen to enough of them, so um, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I think so. Uh, but I was going to say before, you know, it's been f- for several years now, and but I think it's ongoing. Is that interior GPS is really the next frontier mm-hmm. for GPS? Mm-hmm. Is helping people to find their way around. You know. Um, and it's not just for blind and visually impaired people, but for anybody, you know, to know uh, uh, to know where they're where they are and where they're going as as smoothly Absolutely. as possible. Absolutely, I think yeah. that um, and 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 Scott working in the airport industry as well may also be able to relate. But there are times where I'm in in an, in an airport terminal that is just so poorly designed, or so or the wayfinding experience is just so terrible that even though I know where, like instinctively know where things should be, I still can't figure out <laughs> certain things, uh, and that is the biggest frustration of them all when <laughs> when that's. When you get to that point and you're and you think, oh, I should know this, like this is, but but they still. Uh, this is my hometown airport. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Right. Um, and and to kind of to to to, to finish up the conversation on technology, because um, well, before we get there, one thing, Peter, I just want to point out to our listeners, one thing that you and I had a conversation about that um, I, from an empathy standpoint, that. Um, you, when we first spoke, you mentioned that how difficult those self-check-in kiosks are for you. Um, whereas for myself, uh, who is able to see, um, they make my experience at an airport just delightful. <laughs> so, um, well, just just to say, there there's a problem with uh, there's now legislation that some percent, I think it's 25 by some ridiculous outside date like 2020, and I'm I don't have this 
exactly right now, but sure. Uh, but it's something like only 25% of air, airport kiosks need to be accessible, which is astonishing. Um, and yet it's the kiosk manufacturers can say, we've got this great, uh, we're being so accessible, but 25%, what if I go, you know, I'm in an airport and there are 10 kiosks and I have to go to, you know, six of them, seven of them before right. I find one that's accessible. That's that's mm-hmm. just a, a very, very frustrating. So since you have the technology, make them all accessible. It's it's not a big deal, but um, it's somebody's big deal, and it's very unfortunate. Yeah, Scott, that, that kind of – one of the last questions I have for you is that is it possible um, – and I, I guess it's, I don't want to say possible um, – do you think that airports, there will ever get to a time where – the common, the lowest common denominator is an entirely accessible uh, airport for everyone. You know, we'd like to think that that's a possibility, uh, and we can certainly strive for it. But you know, you know, there's there's always a balance. You know, uh, you know, the example of, of the of the auditory noise levels in in, in terminals is a, is a good example where you know if you make something work for one person. You know, uh, it may have adverse effects on the other. Uh, you know, and uh, you know, you really can't design, you know, a, a all, you know, co- you know, a, a correct terminal for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, That's the key, correct. The, the key is to not adversely affect, you know, uh, a, pop- a passenger population uh, uh, to a point where they can't uh, utilize the terminal, uh, and and you know. Uh, ultimately, you know, try and design a terminal that that at least everyone can uh, uh, get where they need to go uh, and have and have a good experience while doing it. Yeah, exactly. I think that's great. I mean, you have uh, you used the the uh, the clear story example earlier, and that lighting may be great for most people to direct them, but for some people with certain mm-hmm. kinds of vision conditions, that might be painful. But um, mm-hmm. Or you not know, even but still, helpful. You, well, not yeah. helpful is you know if they can't see at all. Of course, it's not going to do any right. make any difference. But um, but just levels of light are are never going. One level of light that is great for you know some large percentage of people is never going to suit other percentage of people. Mm-hmm. So there's really not much you can do about that. Except sure. Try and be keep glare down and um, and lighting as uh, as is as efficient and effective as possible. Sure. Now, Peter, uh, one of the last questions I have for you is, could you kind of give us an an idea of what your ideal airport um, experience would be? Yes. Um, My limo (laughs) picks me up and takes me to uh, the executive airport and, Right to the door of my Learjet, and boom, we're off. Okay. Uh, no. uh, other than that, uh, other than that, um, failing that, which is not in the cards at the moment, um, I, you know, I want, to, I would love to be able to know where the doors are, either by sound or by feel of the textured sidewalk, some kind of um, indication of how to find the ticket counter once I'm in. Um, 
I'd love to be able to go through an airport on my own and uh, I just have to try it and see how that is. And I'm sure I can do it. Um, but uh, where the obstacles are reduced, where the, the customer service is efficient, is aware and, and trained, well-trained to support the needs that I have um, and not try and provide me with needs that I – to fulfill uh, requirements that I don't have, you know, um, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, where a bottle of water is reasonably priced. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but, no, uh, in all seriousness, that um, – I'd like to be able to find my, uh, find my gate on my own, and that is not going to be done through signage but uh, some other way, and I'm assuming that that will be, that's down the road. I'm I'm not someone who can design that, but I, I'd love to figure that out and love to see how that works. And, um, you know, it's it's a huge challenge because people are, we're messy. You know, we're messy, yeah. bu- messy beings. We're complicated mm-hmm. beings. So, you know, I'm not expecting a hassle-free environment, Um and I don't think anybody is whether they have a disability or not. Uh, you know, whatever can be done to keep the hassles to a minimum is appreciated. Yeah, I, I think uh, your your comment about being able to walk through an airport without any assistance, uh, that I think would be a very interesting um, mm-hmm. experience just mm-hmm. to, to kind of to, to just observe at first, you know, walking through today's airports uh, and what that experience you know, there, would there look are, like for you. There are people who use wheelchairs in airports who don't use them anywhere else. Sure. And they may not need, you know, they they use them only because the long they're not, you know, the people who drive everywhere who don't do a lot of walking. But you can walk half a mile in an airport easily. Right. And right. Um, mm-hmm. they they may not need a wheelchair attendant. Maybe there can just be wheelchairs for them to use mm-hmm. to get and sit in a wheelchair and. Operate it to the gate they want and um, and leave it there. Uh, maybe there are. I would like to see TSA agents trained. Um, I have yet to find more than about two percent of TSA agents trained to on how to process a service dog. Uh, you'd be astonished at the the range of of reactions I get when I try and bring my service dog through a TSA checkpoint. It's it's astonishing um so you know training of service personnel combined with great design innovation such as what scott and his group are working on is the solution toward just improvement that's what we're gearing looking for we we're not going to reinvent the wheel but we can sure try and make it run better is there anyone outside of a uh, when it comes to other industries so a particular hotel chain um, or mall or maybe even Disney that's doing it right that you would like to see airports kind of borrow ideas from? Well, Disney has put a, a big emphasis on uh, service for people with disabilities. So, uh, you know, um, and I, you know, I, I'm not going to, Specify any you know, all the hotel operate, operators are are working toward that uh, to greater or lesser success. 
um, and some are, you know, because the it's just, again, you know, the experience of entering a hotel is very similar to entering an airport, especially if it's a large, say, convention center hotel. Um, and, uh, you know, I think there are things airport operators can learn from hotels, and they can also learn from casinos how not to do things. Casinos, I mean, their plan to keep people from finding their way anywhere, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, you know, you want to keep people in the casino. That's right. the goal. Keep them... Yeah, they can go shopping as long as they get back to the gaming floor. Um, uh, so, so yeah, you know, I just I just think constant learning. I'm not going to say one one sure. company does it better than all others. Um, although I think that uh, I'll shout out to my client Virgin, which has <laughs> has no they they brought me into work with management before they opened their first hotel so that management would understand from the top down yeah what what's this about why think about this from the management level rather than just at the operating individual property level and yeah. uh, i think you know i i'm happy they did that i wish i see i'd like to see more right. of that um, right. from management rather than just delegating it to the ranks no, I think, I think file, you know. yeah, I, I think in, in with any initiative, um, it has to come, you know, it, without a management buy in, uh, you don't you don't you will never right. see the results. Uh, you, you end up management ends up doing it begrudgingly rather than enthusiastically. And that that right. sometimes is worse than trying to do it at all. Um, Scott, are there any other industries that you um, are seeing Corgan borrowing ideas from? Uh, I know you all do a lot of work with hospitals as well, so I can imagine wayfinding around hospitals has got to be an area where you're borrowing some things from. Yeah, actually, the um, the evidence-based design philosophy actually originates in the healthcare field, uh, you know, where people would, would work to find credible evidence to find ways to improve passenger uh, patient experiences uh, in hospitals and to improve satisfaction of employees. Uh, uh, you know, the evidence-based design uh, trend, we we found that that, that, that had absolute uh, correlations to the passenger experience. Uh, and so, you know, we, we started to look at that, and that's where stuff like those eye-tracking goggles and the A-suit simulation kind of has their genesis is, is, is by borrowing that from the healthcare field. Uh, but I also uh, think that the, the the hospitality field is certainly one uh, one trend where things are going. Uh, as mentioned already, that you know that uh, there are certain check-in areas, you know, typically for premium passengers, uh, you know, uh, such as American mm-hmm. Airlines flagship check-in and mm-hmm. Delta One, uh, where uh, you know walking into that check-in facility is much more like walking into a hotel uh, and being greeted by a concierge right. as opposed to you know, uh, yeah. Uh, and now whether that that kind of experience gets ever to get disseminated to the entire uh, terminals is one thing, but uh, you know uh, we were involved in the, uh, the the design of the Delta One uh, check-in facility at a uh, at LAX, and uh, you know certainly a lot of elements of of, of hospitality design was incorporated in, into that mm-hmm. check-in facility. Sure, sure. You know that's uh, you know that's where again another place where uh, customer service at the personnel level uh, is just as important as the design because you get the design may work, may, may be beautiful, but if you have someone who is rude or crude or just uninformed dealing with 
uh, kind of passenger who who expects something else when they check into a Delta One uh, flight, you know, or, or concourse gate, um, that's going to really damage the the, the goal mm-hmm. of that whole design framework. Sure. Uh, and one of the things that happens is that, um, you know, it's often the people at the lowest rung of the customer service continuum who have the least training and they will get blamed for, you know, for a bad interaction with the customer. Um, but it really is to me, that's the fault of the, uh, the problem there is that the, at the higher level that refuses to recognize how important it is to get that training Mm -hmm. all the way, all the way down. Yeah. Right. Sure. Well, I thank you both for your time. Uh, I know we went over a little bit longer than I promised, but uh, it was an incredibly interesting and informative conversation. Uh, so thank you again. Uh, if anyone, Peter, is interested in learning more about your work uh, that you do, where should they go? They should go to uh, slatingroup.com, S-L-A-T-I-N-G-R-O-U-P, Slayton Group. Dot com uh, and all contact information is there and I do want to mention that uh, through uh, a strategic partner I've created an e-learning program uh, that has all the uh, message the same message as my in-person workshops but this can be applied across a, uh, a large platform uh, corporate or, or a management platform so that everyone can get the same message uh, without me having to present at uh, 500 hotels or, yeah. or uh, airports or whatever. Um, but, yeah, that's where they can go, and uh, I'm happy to discuss that, uh, too. And it's, Great. Uh, it's proving really it's gotten a lot of good uh, good attention. So so making your, your training Thank you. on – Thank you. I was going to say making your training on accessibility more accessible. Exactly yeah. so. Well said. And thank you, Chris. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. I appreciate it. Oh no, it, it was. And Scott, it was honestly, it's a pleasure to meet you. Yeah. Yes, it was nice to talk to you guys as well, Scott. And I, lo- should... I love hearing what you're doing at Corrigan. Yeah, yeah that's what I was going to ask. Where should people go to learn more about about the stuff you all are working on it over at Corrigan? Sure. Uh, our website is www.corrigan.com. Uh, and we've got all of our work from all of our market sectors actually on on there uh, to peruse. Uh, you know, I, and then we obviously have all of our aviation work up there to take a look at, uh, and all of our contact info. If you'd like to reach out to either me or uh, any one of our principals to talk further about aviation design. Sure, and I'll also make sure I include those links to both your websites uh, in the show notes for this for this episode as well. So, uh, well, thank you again. Um, I like I said, I. I this was probably one of the more um, interesting conversations that we've had. It definitely uh, impactful in terms of information. So uh, it sounds like the baseline at at the end of the day, the baseline information, the takeaway should be to incorporate design with training uh, when it comes to Mm. helping people get through an airport to provide the best experience. Yep. Uh, It's all about being as uh, well-rounded as, uh, as you can be. Okay. Not relying on any one solution, but yep. thank you again. Sure. Thanks yep. so much, y'all. Thank you very much.
Once again, I want to thank Peter and Scott for their time. I really did enjoy this episode. Uh, I don't think it's one that's nearly addressed enough. And I do think it would be interesting to see an airport design past the ADA, as Peter put it, and use those standards as a minimum design requirement, rather than just thinking of it as an accommodation that they have to make. If you want to check out more of Peter's work, go to his website. It's just slaytongroup.com. He's also on Twitter, at slaytongroup. You can also see more of the projects that Scott's working on over at Corgan's website. It's just corgan.com. And they're also on the Twitters at corganinc. So C-O-R-G-A-N-I-N-C. Of course, if you like this episode and aren't subscribed to the podcast yet, make sure you hit that subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. For those of you who may not know quite what you're listening to or what exactly a podcast is, It's going to be that purple app on your iPhone that has the lowercase i with a circle around it. Just hit that and search runway.vc. It should pop right up. We're also on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Blueberry, and a litany of other apps. Uh, If you don't use any of those and want to know for sure if we're on your favorite podcast app, check out our website at www.runway.vc backslash podcast. Uh, You can also catch us on Twitter at runwayvc, no dot included in that Twitter handle. Big thanks to Cutchins and Grow, the airport planning firm that, without, this podcast would not be possible. If your airport ever needs anything from an independent fee estimate to help with DBE reporting or an update of minimum standard study to even a master plan, make sure you reach out to them at their website at cutchins-grow.com. That's K-U-T-C-H-I-N-S-G-R-O-H.com. You can also shoot them an email at k g at cutchins-grow.com. Finally, as always, we want to thank Bruno Massone for that intro. Bruno hooks us up with that intro music and actually has an entire album that incorporates some good music with airplane noise. Check his work out at brunomassone.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you on the next one.